Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. My, my. I think my feelings can best be summed up in the song by uh, a man maybe I'm sure none of you have really heard of. His name's John Denver. And he's saying, hey, it's good to be back home again. And I'm kind of changing it. Sometimes this old church feels like a long-lost friend. Hey, it's good to be back home again. Praise God. There will always be something special. Amen. <clears throat> Our Palmer Pentecostal Church. In uh, June of 1984, we drove down this highway in a 60-passenger school bus with all our earthly be belongings and looked over, and they were building that building. Amen. Pulled in, and other than Brother Wagner and Brother Blackshear, Brother Al Starr was the first pastor I met uh, here in Alaska. And so Palmer has always held a very, very special place in my heart. Amen. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing? That first chapter of John is probably one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Uh, anybody familiar with Thomas Kincaid, the artist? There's something about Thomas Kincaid's, when you see his artwork, you don't find many people saying, who painted that? I mean, it's just, that's Thomas Kincaid. Now, for some of you more seniors, Norman Rockwell, yeah. Didn't have to ask, who painted that? Norman Rockwell. Amen. Uh, I hear uh, a voice on the radio, never met her, but immediately I recognize Karen Carpenter's voice. The Beach Boys, Johnny Mathis, they have a distinct sound that identifies them. And this world has a distinct appearance that we shouldn't have to look out there and say, who made this? It should just speak to us. It didn't happen by accident. It wasn't a big explosion millions of years ago. The great God of the universe got a picture up here and said, let it be, and boom, there it was. John said it was all made by him. But when he came, who are you? Didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize him. I mean, Jesus asked him repeatedly, you don't know who I am? You doctors of the law? that know the law backwards and forwards and, you know, 
everything, and you don't know who I am. How his heart, in fact, he stood and looked over Jerusalem and wept. How his heart must have broken when they didn't recognize the creator. Oh, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad? You know, you come into church and, you know, church is going in and all of a sudden something just whoosh, and immediately you recognize who that is. Oh, I know who that is. I know what that is. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And to spend time in his presence is just phenomenal. What a shame, as my friend Jeff Arnold says, church is about the only place where people come with leaving on their mind. Amen. <laughs> if football had five quarters, they wouldn't complain. They'd stay. You know, when the final seconds are ticking down uh, in a basketball game, you know, and they announce, no, 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 we're going to go on and play another half hour. People still sit there. Amen. Well, I'm coming to a close. No, pastor. No, pastor. Preach, 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 preach. I want more of the word. I want more of the word. We're increasing prayer from an hour to an hour and a half. Oh, praise God. Let's go two hours. Because in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore. Amen. I'm so glad to have my chauffeur with me tonight. Amen. I looked over today. I said, man, I said, you could have stayed home and done whatever. And you choose to, to travel anywhere from four, six, seven hours with an old man. I love it. I love it. Praise God. Pastor and Sister Herring, you know I love you and appreciate you so very, very much. Uh, well, can I preach a little bit here tonight? <laughs> First Chronicles, chapter 29. Who wrote Chronicles? Bro? Maybe Samuel? Samuel? Twenty-nine of First Samuel, and let's let's start with the twenty-ninth verse. 
Now, the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written where? In the book of Samuel, the seer. Seer is just another word for prophet. And in the book of Nathan, the prophet. And in the book of Gad, the seer. With all his reign and his might, and the times that went over him and over Israel and over all the kingdoms of the countries. <laughs> I would like to speak to you tonight for a few minutes. Hope if I took my watch off. On the waves of time, the waves of time. That's a peculiar phrase, the waves of time. I've heard the sands of time, but the waves of time. You may be seated. Now, what we have here is just a fragment, just a small, small portion from the writer's close of King David's life. And his referring in it to other written authorities that if you want a more fuller story about it, if you want more particulars, here's where it's written concerning his hero. And he says, the acts of David the king first and last, and the times that went over him. So I've taken it upon myself tonight for a few minutes To isolate these words, the waves of time that went over him. Why, Brother Churchill? Pastor, how many times have you read this portion of Scripture? Those of you that don't take your Bible home and just put it on the mantle and get it at service time, but... Those of you that open it on a daily basis, how many times have you read First Chronicles? Yeah. I've read it many, I don't know how many times. But just like Scripture, you read something that you've read repeatedly, and then one time you read it, and boom! It just jumps out at you. So I've read the waves of time that went over him. I don't know how many times, but uh, oh, a month or so ago, I read it, and boom, it just reached out and grabbed me. These words seem to suggest some very, very solemn and stimulating thoughts concerning the true nature of life. Of course, 
Originally, they referred to the very strange vicissitudes and the extremes of fortune, conditions that characterize so dramatically and remarkably the life of King David. Think of it. We're introduced to David in 1 Samuel. And how are we introduced to him? What is he? He's a shepherd. He's the youngest of Jesse's sons, and he watches the sheep. He's a shepherd. Then we see him as a soldier. Not only a soldier, he becomes a court favorite with King Saul. We're all aware he's a songwriter. He's a musician. He spends a number of years considered to be a rebel, a fugitive, finally a king. David lived a life full of very strongly marked alternations. Now, the meaning of the word alternation is the act of altering or making different. The result of change. And so the times that went over David were singularly separate and different from each other. Another one, it just wasn't a conglomeration of times, but they were sectioned off like slices of pie. Very few people, very, very few people who lived such checkered lives as David did. But this principle from thousands of years ago, which dictated the selection by the writer of this somewhat strange phrase, is true, not only in the life of David, but in the life of each and every person. So first, the times which make up each life. And again, I don't think the writer is merely meaning the succession of moments and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years. But I think he wishes to emphasize the thought, the view, that these are epics or these are sections of time each with its own very definite characteristics, special opportunities, unlike the rest that lie maybe on either side of it. And so each life is made up of a series, not just of successive moments, but of well-marked epics each of which has its own character, its own responsibilities, its own opportunities, in each of which there is some special work to be done, some grace to be cultivated, a lesson to be learned. David had no idea when he was called from watching the sheep that day, and he gets down to the house, and Dad said, here, 
take this bread and this cheese and this stuff and take it down to your brothers. David had no idea that for almost 40 days, uh, Goliath of Gath has been coming out and challenging the armies of Israel. Give me a man to fight. David had no idea. But David, here's coming a slice of time, a portion of time that's going to be given to you, and what are you going to do with it? So when David gets there, and he hears the challenge of Goliath, he starts looking around, I'm sure. I don't think he immediately said, I'll go fight him. No. I think he kind of hung back, you know. He thought, now, where is this king that is head and shoulders above everybody in Israel? And then it dawned on him, well, Saul is not going to answer. And then he looks to his big brothers. Oh, there's something special about big brothers. And he realizes that Eliab and his other two brothers that were in the army, they weren't going to do it. And, and we question sometimes, I am sure, why things happen. Why? Why, Lord, did this lion, and why did this bear come out to try to take sheep from the fold? know if David was 15, 16, 17 years old. Let me tell you something. If there was a teenage kid that fought and killed a lion and a bear and overcame them, it would be plastered across the news. Everybody would, you know. And in fact, whoever did it would probably say, hey, you want to know what I did? But we don't, we don't read any record until David is taken to Saul. Now, big brother got embarrassed because kid brother says, I'll go fight him. I say, humiliate him. I know the naughtiness of your heart. And by beside, he looks at his buddies and says, Who's taking care of the sheep? He's just a shepherd. He just watches sheep. He doesn't know how to handle a sword or a spear. But he ends up with Saul. And Saul definitely says, David, you can't do this. Why, he's been taught to be a soldier, a warrior from his youth up. And David, you don't have the experience. You don't have what it takes. And now... God nudges him. Hey, tell him about the lion. Tell him about the bear. So who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Is there not a cause? And thousands of years later, on a Wednesday night in Palmer, Alaska, I stand here and I boldly say, is there not a cause outside the doors of this building? Is there not a section of time that God has placed into our hands? A section of time when there is something special given to you to accomplish. 
Praise God. If we don't take advantage of it, it may never come back to us again. Only one opportunity. We missed it. It's lost forever. The times pass over us, and every single portion has its own purpose to us. And unless we're attentive and alert, it can slip by us and be gone, and we are the poorer for it for eternity. Now, I know so many times life takes on a monotony. Most of us know what we're going to be doing tomorrow. Amen. And Friday and Saturday and next week. And so, you know, it just keeps going that way. And monotony sets in. And then a special, a special time comes. And we're not spiritually attuned to it. Amen. We're sleeping and not aware. Friend, we've got to be alert to the Spirit of God in this day. Amen. That when it comes, we take opportunity. Oh, hallelujah. I feel God in this place tonight. I think it's the same thought suggested by the well-known words of what some people call the cynical book of the Bible. Anybody have any idea what book that is? What about Ecclesiastes? <laughs> To everything there is a season and a time. The wisest, now hear it, the wisest man in the world. Kings and people and scholars come from all over the world to get an appointment with this man. And he's telling us to everything, there is a season, there is a time. opportunity, a definite period. For what? For every purpose that is under the sun. It's the same thought suggested by Paul, Galatians 6.10. Notice, as we have, therefore, opportunity. Here you sit at the end of a day. Were you aware of the opportunities that came your way today? And did you take advantage? Even if it was just a few words of encouragement, friend. Amen. Only eternity is going to tell the effect of taking advantage of the opportunity to do good to all men. This world desperately needs I said it desperately needs people uh, that will take care of the uh, opportunities uh, to reach out and help the needy, to reach out and help the poor, amen, to cook a meal for a neighbor, uh, amen, to drop by and give somebody, say, here, uh, amen, pay your electric bill with this this month. Uh, Am I the only one that has failed to take advantage of an opportunity? Pastor Herring, 
When you pull into the parking lot at Kenai, there's that big pole with a light on it. And at the bottom of that pole, we had a French drain. It was two, two or three barrels with the ends knocked out with gravel put there at the base of that pole. And it had gotten clogged up. And so I was out there working on it. And a gentleman who had, had come to visit the church a few times. Listen, those little cards you fill out or have people fill out, visitor cards, they're so vital. So I put down my shovel, and he came over, and we talked. And he said, uh, Pastor, I'd like to get baptized. That thrilled me. And I think it was a Monday. I said, well, what about Wednesday? He said, that'd be fine. And when I said that, something checked me and said, do it right now. I thought, wait. He just said Wednesday'd be fine. And again, do it now. I didn't do it now. I never laid eyes on the man again. Oh God. Oh God, when that little voice comes. Amen. It may not be convenient, friend, but you better take a pay attention to it. Mary turned to those servants at the wedding, amen, and said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it, friend. The devil's never going to tell you to witness to somebody. The devil's never going to tell you to give a Bible study to somebody. But the Spirit of God moves in, says, talk to this one. <laughs> In due season, we shall reap uh, if we faint not. Whew. There is a time for weeping, a time for laughing, a time for building up, a time for casting down. So through all the variety of human occupations, each moment comes to us. And what is the lesson that present circumstances are meant to teach? The grace of my present condition is meant to force me to cultivate, to exhibit. A couple months ago, Pastor Wicker and Kenai, they're getting ready to stream their service on a Sunday morning. And so uh, the musicians are there, the praise singers are there, the sound people. They're getting ready to start, and through the back opening comes a man. Looks at Brother Wicker, said, are you having church today? 
He said, the church I attend regularly is not having church. And are you having church? And Brother Wicker could have said, well, you know what the governor has said, and blah, blah, blah. Brother Wicker was attuned. He, he, he sent something, and he said, hey, just have a seat here. Just have a seat here. And he sat through the service. I preached in Sunday, last Sunday. That man and his family sit in the church, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because somebody is sensitive. Oh, we're in coronavirus, and I'm not trying to minimize it, friend. But listen, God knew all about coronavirus before it ever hit. And he told Pastor Wicker, he said, if it wasn't for coronavirus, I would have never stepped foot in your church. Think of the children of Israel. Three days. Three days, not three weeks, not three months, not three years. Three days after the Red Sea. You're familiar what happened at the Red Sea. Waters part into two walls on each side. And I don't know, 650,000 to a million or more people go over on dry ground. Moses gets to the other side and takes that piece of stick, holds it out there. Waters come back. The Egyptians are destroyed. The Red Sea victory was a huge victory, friends. And it's one of the most popular of Old Testament stories and miracles, Sunday school kids, you know, the Red Sea, the Red Sea, and we hear it so much till it's so much like water off a duck's back. Can you imagine experiencing going down to Cook Inlet, holding out a rod, and the waters fold back on each side, and you walk through to the west side of Cook Inlet? Get over there and hold out the rod, and the waters come back together. I've never experienced anything like that, friend. But not only that, the ten plagues that they experienced, uh, and they go just three days, and yes, after three days, they're going to be thirsty. They're going to be wanting water, and they come to water, but they can't drink it because it's bitter. Okay, children of Israel, here's a slice of time. What are you going to do with it? After tasting of it and discovering it's bitter, why couldn't they have just stepped back and looked at Moses and said, you know what, Moses? A God that can roll back waters of the Red Sea? A God that can feed us with manna? A God that's going to give us water out of a rock? What's a little bit of bitter water? But they didn't take advantage of it. They murmured. They complained. How did we get here? How did we? Did somebody make a wrong turn back there? 
you know, we hear of the children of Israel in their journey in the wilderness as wandering. Wandering is walking aimlessly, leisurely. They weren't wandering. You go to the last verse of Exodus 14, we're plainly told they were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And wherever the cloud went, they went. If the cloud went left, they went left. If the cloud went right, they went right. So the cloud hovered over Mara. So there had to be purpose. There had to be meaning. Everything in the child of God's life has purpose and meaning. Notice Deuteronomy 8, 2. Moses would write later. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years. Why? Here it is. To humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, and whether you would keep his commandments or not. Why are we in coronavirus? To humble us, to prove us, to know what's really in our heart. Heard somebody just say yesterday, you couldn't climb the mountain if it was smooth. Mountain has to be rough, but you climb it and you get to the top. Hallelujah. Praise God. And we see what we're really made of spiritually when we go through the testing and the trial. And we have those times in our life when God's trying to teach us a lesson. Amen. 
There are times we just need to step back, take a little time off, and go to the prayer closet and talk to the coach. Sometimes the clouds part. God allows us to see something down there. Wow. Then the clouds roll in and life takes over again. And we go on and go on. And we get to that special time. I was driving down Spur Highway from the Kiski back to the church few years ago, got to a certain point and it was open and I looked across and the clouds, the sun was setting, Mount Reed out, Iliama, and the clouds, ref the, the sun rays reflecting off, it was just beautiful, it was breathtaking. And I said, wow, I know a pull-off just past the church where I can pull in there and it's and I can get some great pictures. Again, I drive maybe 30 seconds, and here's a little pull out, but it's not very large, and there's bushes. And, but something says, take your picture here. Get your picture here. No, no, no. That other pull-off is much better, and I'll be there in just a couple minutes. Sure enough, I get down there maybe three or four minutes later, I jump out of the car. And the whole scene has changed. Wait. But it never was like it was. Procrastination. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. I've got so many notes here. Years ago, chemist, how many know what a chemist is? They were called alchemist many, many years ago. And they were a person that would transform or create something through a seemingly magical process. And the ancient alchemists used to believe there was what they called the moment of projection. The moment. When into the heaving molten mass in their crucible, in their test tube, they could drop the magic powder. And if they dropped it in at just the right moment, it would turn to gold. But if they were a couple seconds too late, there would be a terrible explosion and death. If they dropped it in just a couple of seconds too early, there was nothing. Friends, this is the moment of projection. God has placed the church at this particular time 
And so take advantage. Take advantage of every prayer meeting. Take advantage of every revival. Take advantage of every Bible, every service. Every time the doors open, take advantage of it. April 25th, 1976. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> so, April 24th, the great American pastime taking place. Chicago Cubs are in Los Angeles playing, I think, a three-game three series with the Dodgers. And patrolling center field Rick Rick Monday. Anybody else other than Pastor ever heard of Rick Monday? Hey, come on. Now, you know what? There are guys sitting on the bench in professional sports that are making great, great livings. And they are good. You don't go to Major League Baseball not being a good player. So, yeah, he wasn't a Mickey Mantle. You know, one of the more popular names. But on this particular day, I think between the fourth and fifth inning, the Cubs had just taken the field in the bottom of that inning when suddenly two fellas jumped the barricade, come running out onto the field. They get down, they spread something out. And it's the American flag. The one fella strikes a match to burn the flag. The wind blows it out. Monday, and in, he, when he's interviewed 30 years after, they're not praising him for home runs and RBIs. And he says, 30 years later, I'm still getting notes from veterans. I'm still getting notes from little kids. Thank you, Mr. Monday, who went running up and grabbed the flag. Why? He took advantage of a section of time that would never be afforded him again. And he goes down in the annals of baseball history for rescuing the American flag. Hey, friends, it's time. I said it's time, amen, to rise to the occasion. Yeah. Paul has no intention 
of going to Macedonia. But at night, he has a dream. Not knowing the doors that are going to be open. Oh, yeah, there's going to be a Philippian jail. Amen. But there's going to be a great deliverance. Amen. The gospel is going to be furthered in Europe. Hallelujah. Amen. And so he takes advantage of the opportunity. Hallelujah. Friend, tonight, when you walk out of these doors, amen, you may not be aware, but God's getting ready, amen, to put a segment of time in your life, amen, for you to learn something new, for you to be strengthened, for you to enrich the kingdom of God. I'm done. Wow. Not quite 40 minutes. <laughs> Make sure you tell your mother that. Of course, I'm still up here. The lesson of the day. The lesson of the day. Not the week. Not the month, not the year, but the lesson of the day has to be learned in that day. I'm glad I serve a merciful God. And I don't think I'm the only one that has let an opportunity slip by and you've lived to regret it. But aren't you glad that his mercies... Amen, are fresh and new every day. Amen. Praise God. It may not be the identical thing, but pretty soon, here comes. John Mark leaves Paul and Barnabas. And when the next journey is about to proceed. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark, and Paul says, no, no, no. He bailed on us. He bailed on us, and the contention was so great that, yeah, so sharp that Silas ended up going with Paul. But later on, Paul writes, bring Mark. He's profitable for the gospel. I'm sure John Mark had his moments. Oh, God, I failed. Why did I do it? But here's another opportunity. Amen. Can we love the Lord tonight? Come on. Hallelujah. Take advantage. You've got another opportunity right now to feel his touch, to feel his presence. Amen. You've got another opportunity Amen. To advance in the kingdom of God. Take advantage of it.